Since 2015, Pop Health Podcast has brought to you some of the best minds in healthcare, including leaders from government, not-for-profit, and investor-backed powerhouses, as they share successes, failures, and how our audience can move forward in today's constantly evolving healthcare world. Thank you for joining us for today's episode presented by 24-Hour Home Care. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Pop Health Podcast. I'm Gavin Ward, host of Pop Health Podcast. In today's episode, I had the opportunity to sit down with Lisa Chan Sawin, who is the founder of Transform Health, an organization that co-creates, collaborates, and works very closely with health plans, governments, and providers across the country when it comes to moving healthcare forward. In today's episode, we learn a little bit about Lisa's background, how she found a passion for policy and healthcare, and some of the work that she's been doing and her team has been doing with CalAIM in California, but with other things across the country as well, including a lot of work with Medicaid waivers. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Check out other episodes of Pop Health Podcast by visiting us on our website, popelfpodcast.com, checking out our YouTube channel, or listening to our podcasts wherever you listen to your shows. Thanks, everybody. Enjoy today's episode. Lisa, thanks so much for joining the show today. So great to be here with you, Gavin. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, folks, I was joking with Lisa before we got started. Lisa is often the facilitator and the leader and the collaborator lead. And it's uh, she, it's cool to have her on the other side and us to get to know Lisa a little bit. So um, Lisa, we'd like to start our shows getting to know the guest a little bit before we jump into kind of the core intent of the show. So with you, could you share something with our audience, um, you know, something maybe outside of the workplace or healthcare about yourself? Oh, you know, I'm happy to, um, you know, typically my work and my clients and the providers and patients that we are supporting come first and foremost in our work. It actually really does feel a bit of a privilege to be able to talk about myself. So I really do appreciate you having me today. Um, you know, I tend to be, I like complex systems. And so I guess, uh, you know, I'm, voracious reader, lifelong learner. Um, and I really do believe that part of being human is just continuing to evolve with the world around us and learning with the world around us. And we live in a society with a lot of complex systems, which I really am passionate about. I love learning about it. And I think that sort of is reflected in some of my hobbies. Um, one of my favorite things to do when I'm um, not thinking about healthcare and working is uh, I really actually enjoy knitting a lot. And I'm currently oh. really involved in doing some lace knitting. My mom's, um, and I think it has to do with the complexity of lace patterns and really thinking through how do you turn string and yarn into something complicated and beautiful? And uh, it has a lot of parallels with um, healthcare too. You know, we live in a complicated healthcare system and I love figuring out how all the pieces come together. All right. So have you completed uh, any of the things you've knitted and do you use them as gifts or for yourself or? Oh, yeah. Um, I just completed a lace cardigan for my mother who turned 70 this year. And so, you know, I really I, I've actually moved really away um, from the idea of fast uh, fashion into this thinking of qu uh, quality over quantity. And yeah. um, it was just lovely to be able to do something like that for my mother. Um, you know, it's uh, you got to take advantage of those opportunities. That's awesome. Was it just a... a 
a random like gift or did you save it for Mother's Day or a holiday or anything like that? Oh, it was for her 70th birthday. I spent uh, over a year knitting it. It was a very complicated lace cardigan, but uh, she loves it. And, you know, something like that is I know she's going to treasure it and uh, wear it all the time. And there's and that makes me happy. That is that is really neat. I was not expecting. Uh, <laughs> I think you're the first uh, person to tell a story like that. Very impactful, uh, which is really cool. So uh, we'll get to transform health and uh, and policy and things like that. But before we do that, um, we'd like to get to know the guests' uh, background, childhood. Tell us about where you grew up, and ultimately when you decided, hey, like policy, healthcare. That's interesting. Give some background. <laughs> Oh, I have a long and varied history. Um, I'm a child of immigrant parents. I'm an immigrant myself. Uh, uh, My parents were political refugees from China. And so we emigrated here when I was two years old. And um, I remember, you know, being young, being a transplant, living in Oakland off of Fruitvale and, you know, figuring out like how to live in America and being an American citizen. And, um, you know, healthcare is so critical because it impacts all of us. Um, When I was younger, my mom had a health scare. And so, um, you know, just coming back full circle, um, when I graduated um, high school, I really felt a calling to do something in healthcare. I didn't know what. I thought I was going to be a doctor, even like, uh, my undergrad degree was in neurobiology, took the MCATs, was getting ready to jump right in um, and apply for medical school. And I took a really fateful epidemiology class mm-hmm. where uh, it was around healthcare laws and regulations and blew my mind. I had, and, you know, keep in mind, at that point, I had worked in the you know, done internships, fellowships in a lot of different environments. I had uh, gotten my EMT certification and was working as an EMT and was hearing from a lot of doctors, oh, this thing around managed care, you got to really learn about it. There's so many laws and regulations. And so I decided to take a little bit of uh, time off before applying to medical school and wanted to learn how healthcare laws were made. So um, you know, took a little bit of a detour, um, uh, sought a job uh, in the in Sacramento, uh, working in the Capitol and, uh, uh, you know, started my career working in the third house and uh, quickly moved in to um, working in the legislature. And that was eye opening. I had no idea that what policy was or that this could be a career and I completely fell in love with it. It uh, really opened my eyes in terms of how systems come together, how laws and regulations impact how care is delivered and really became my passion for um, asking questions and thinking about how different components work together or don't and what can we do to make things better. That's awesome. So you mentioned going back to uh, when you mentioned how you came over uh, when you were two years old. Do you speak, happen to speak uh, any of those other languages? Or I do. No. My okay. native language is Cantonese. Uh, okay. My my dad was insistent that in order for us to keep our native language, that no English be spoken in the home, so that we. Re- so I do speak Cantonese. 
That is fantastic. My uh, my wife is born and raised here, but she, her heritage is Chinese. She speaks a dialect called Toisan. Yeah, um, my grandmother is from Toisan. Okay, nice. Awesome. Um, and my mother-in-law uh, speaks Toisan and Cantonese as well. Um, so I always like, uh, like hearing uh, your stories. And what's interesting is um, when you were first here at age two, you were Probably you were probably a Medi-Cal beneficiary yourself, at, right? Or am I getting? Oh, yeah. You know, it goes into the whole immigrant experience. I mean, you know, coming as an immigrant, um, you know, you, you there you have to be very careful. You have to have a sponsor. You know, you promise that you're going to be law-abiding citizen and that you're not going to use local resources and like necessarily. And so my parents were always very careful. They were Medi-Cal recipients okay. um, and uh, WIC recipients as well, food stamp recipients, but they worked hard to, you know, to meet their needs and move off of public programming. Um, but it really opened my eyes because these are critical safety net programs. Everybody yeah. needs them. Every, you know, because you know, you, you, everybody gets sick, right? Everybody runs into different situations, and so um, it really brought in my mind the real value of these systems and how they come together and how they really support those in need. Yeah, that is awesome, and it's cool what you said about your parents. Um, well, they did benefit from Medi-Cal, but at the same time, you know, they worked really, really hard and. Um, and we're able to provide a good life for you and it sounds like for themselves as well. So you mentioned that you mentioned a little bit about your childhood. One thing we skipped over was uh, what I thought was interesting was comparative literature. So I saw that as like a major or a degree you got and um, tell us about that. <laughs> you know, I'm Thank you for asking me about that. A lot, <laughs> a lot of people do. Um, you know, I am very it when I was going through college and uh, getting a neurobiology uh, degree, it really took a lot out of me because, but, and I wasn't really feeling like I was feeding the soul. Okay. And so I decided to double major in comparative literature. And in that degree, what, um, we were, um, I compared Chinese literature in American literature. Oh. And through those two lenses, looked at social norms and cues. And it, um, I chose those two languages in my, because when you're a comparative lit major, you get to choose the languages that you're comparing. Okay. And it really helped me understand um what it meant to be chinese what it meant to be american and then also helped me really think about what it meant to be chinese american and merging of the two identities and the different cultures and the different norms between the two and um i loved comparative literature because it really fed the soul and really allowed me to be creative when I was doing a lot of hardcore science technical classes. Yeah. And it it just sort of gives me a bigger and more complete view of the world. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. I didn't even know now that you mentioned the two languages, it makes sense to me. Um, maybe I should have researched more before we, we sat down today, but uh, thank you for the layman's term explanation on comparative literature. So uh, you mentioned how you went, you eventually went over to Sacramento and got involved in policy. Um, let's fast forward. Uh, so you kind of built uh, some experience, built your network in the 
policy world, I guess you can say, or healthcare world. And ultimately, you decided to go out on your own, and which I couldn't do it. Uh, I'm too scared to do that. Like, wh- what was that experience? Like, what drove you to go out and create Transform Health and, and be an entrepreneur and, and a leader on your own? You know, I when I was in the legislature, um, we were running bills, looking at issues, tracking issues. And, you know, sometimes we would pass bills and legislation and regulation that we, in with all the best intention, but that you don't always get the outcome that you anticipate. And so it really made me think like, policy is one piece of the pie, but there the way outcomes are driven, we have to think about the people providing the service, how they're doing it, how they're engaging with the patient, and how are we developing and designing programs that best support not only the patient, but address the problem. And I didn't feel good about constantly criticizing other people's work. Um, I felt that, um, you know, there was a lot of need um, and a lot of problems in healthcare, but, you know, we can always contribute to the solutions. And I really felt that, you know, I was learning a lot about systems and about payment models, but, then felt like, well, you know, I can't criticize somebody for doing something if I don't even understand what the work looks like myself. And so I decided to um, learn more about the work. I had by then worked in a pharmaceutical company in grad school. I had worked in a clinic setting, a hospital setting as an EMT. Um, But, you know, I felt like there was a missing component about how things were being brought together. So I decided to um, leave the building. I went into consulting and I learned a lot about how to be a consultant and how to bring all the pieces together and how does policy impact the payment model and how does how do we create programs um, and workflows that generate the outcomes that we're seeking. I, I think um, the more I got into it, I learned a lot about collective impact and yeah. realized that, you know, there's a lot of problems in healthcare, but a lot of the obvious easy solutions have been done. We're left with a lot of hard problems to tackle, and it's up to all of us collectively to come together to solve them. Mm-hmm. So this at the end of the day, it felt like it was important to actually try some of this stuff myself and actually be an agent of change, which is why um, I formed Transform Health um, with the support of many people. And um, I would be remiss not to thank all of them because, you know, all the work we do, we stand on the shoulders of others. And so, Um, That's one of the reasons why the firm is named Transform Health. It's not about any one individual, but about what we can collectively do and how do we collectively transform health together. So that's uh, why we're here. You know, Um, we're a mission driven consulting firm 
and we're women owned and led and we seek diversity we seek to bring people together and work with organizations providers government agencies plans you know who really want to see change happen and to come together for a common goal okay awesome so transform health i'm just looking at some notes here so you started it are you uh were you doing i know you had support of others but were you like a one woman show to start and then you've added staff later or do you mind me walking walking oh, yeah it's um <laughs> so i did start with a few partners who um and you know you work with partners and then you add staff but you know we were very very blessed and lucky um we had the opportunity to work on whole person care um uh one of our uh, uh, colleagues uh brought me to a, a very fateful meeting actually with the city of Sacramento um, who had at that point decided to embark on the journey of launching a whole person care pilot. And uh, I was asked to help not only develop and design and write their application and negotiate it with the state, but also to help the city stand up and launch whole person care in Sacramento. And so um, because of that, we had a real opportunity to really think about the need and we added staff, built up the firm, and we really wanted to leverage that moment as a way of, well, yes, we are building up our firm, but how can we bring others together? And so we use collective impact um, models. We brought the housing industry and the healthcare industry to, in Sacramento together to really co-create, to conceive, to collaborate, and figure out how we could provide services to those who are chronically homeless in Sacramento County in a completely different way. All right, so that was the uh, chapter one, I guess, <laughs> or somewhere, somewhere along there. So did people, hear about the work you're doing from like other counties and there was like a snowball effect or how did you, I mean, we'll, we'll get to what you're doing today, but how did you grow into what you are today? So we tried very hard to share what we were doing as much as possible. Anyone who wanted to learn about what we were doing, how we did it, we would share ideas freely. And so, and, and that's really important. You know, we don't live in a silo. We, we live in an ecosystem where we've learned that we have to work together. And so, um, what was great about sort of what came next was, um, you know, the more you share best practices, the more you share lessons learned, other folks share with you, and we collectively all do better. And so I think what happened was, um, you know, folks learned about our work and decided it was important to have forums for local engagement. One of the key tenants that we built in Sacramento was to develop a local forum where all the providers had a seat at the table with the health plans, with the city and the county. And we would talk about how we were coming together to run this program, how we were serving clients. It was backed up with a learning community where we really drilled down and worked with frontline staff and uh, provided trainings, support, um, we would just bring people together and we created a community 
community. And so I, I think that's one of the things I'm most proud of, of, of those days and that body of work. Um, having created that community and even continuing to see those same providers use um, some of the similar interventions, ideas, best practices, even now under CalAIM. I mean, it it really warms my heart to think about all those providers coming together in different ways now because we were able to put that community in motion. Yeah, no, that's great. And, you know, the work that you did there obviously is being replicated elsewhere now. So, Lisa, um, we're going to talk a lot uh, about CalAIM in the next few minutes. But before we do that, um, Transform Health has been around now for a few years. And before the CalAIM work, and we know about Sacramento and uh, whole person care work that you did there. Tell us about some of the work and priorities of Transform Health before CalAIM. Mm -hmm. Well, um, before CalAIM, you know, I will say that the big body of work that Transform Health that really put um, that helped build our firm and and uh, was sort of our flagship project was our Sacramento Whole Person Care pilot. Um, we're very proud of that work because we were uh, were we were the only city led pilot in the state, and um, you know. I think we learned a lot from that and the the whole person care pilots were precursors to what we are currently doing in CalAIM. Um, before that, um, I had worked um, in different consulting capacities, running large multi-stakeholder collaboratives across the nation. And so a lot of them largely funded by 1115 Medicaid waivers a lot around demonstration pilots, how to do things differently. Um, And this goes all the way back to the district waiver here in California. um, And uh, that got replicated in a number of other states. And so I've worked on district in um, Texas, in New York. Um, We, uh, I helped New York State write their 1115 waiver. And uh, we're still currently doing some of that work right now. And, you know, what I learned from that body of work is there is a national interest in transforming healthcare and systems change in healthcare. There's a desire to address costs, but also provide more value to patients so that we have a healthier community. And that's what a lot of Americans want. And it's not just in California, but I've seen, I've worked on that in Texas, in Florida, in New York. We see these types of pilots in Washington, in Oregon, in Arizona. And so I think what we're realizing is that um, a lot of what we have in healthcare right now are, is a system of sick care. When yeah. you are sick is when you show up, right? Either yeah. in a doctor's office or in a hospital. But as we learn more about what it truly means to be healthy and to manage health, um, we're really, a lot of us in the health policy world have been talking about social determinants and, and the impact that they have on our health outcomes. In a lot of ways, I see what we're doing in CalAIM is about extending the eyes and ears of our providers so that they understand how their patients are um, living and thriving in community. Like 
how are they doing when they're not in the doctor's office, not in a hospital, but, you know, how can I as a provider help them understand their needs, particularly if that patient is uh has chronic conditions, or maybe they are uh, very vulnerable. You know, we know that we have a number of vulnerable populations where their social determinants really can skew them one way or the other in terms of health. And so I'm really excited about this body of work because it's, I see it as an opportunity to further flesh out our delivery systems and build out our systems so that or, you know, or really looking comprehensively at a patient and not only for when they are sick, but the, seeing them as a whole person, seeing how they thrive and live in community. And if they're not providing the support so that they can. Okay, awesome. So with Cal AIM, um, you've been involved. When, when did like Cal AIM first come on the radar for you as something that you would work on? So, I think we as a state have been talking about CalAIM for a long time, but I actually zoom out a little further because I see it as a progression in the way we've been thinking about health and healthcare and evolving our Medi-Cal programming over the last 20 years over a series of waivers. So um, I had mentioned DISRIP earlier, um, that's the Delivery System Reform Incentive Payment Program two waivers back, we learned a lot about how to support an individual organization, provider organization to evolve their internal systems um, and to put in new programming. Um, a lot of that became, evolved over time um, and we saw sort of this progression in the way states were leveraging 1115 waivers to do more, to drive some of these systems change. And so we started seeing states leverage similar models to include not only within one organization, but bringing uh, groups of providers together to co-create systems change. And I think it's a natural progression to get to CalAIM where we are now, um, when I think back about all the past California waivers, we were making investments in our safety net, in different delivery systems, and now we're trying to broaden it and put into place this co more comprehensive view of how we best support Medi-Cal patients. Yeah, that's good. And that's a good point that it was a progression, not just this, here it is, you know, that's a really good, uh, good point. So you've been involved with CalAIM prior to its official implementation and part of the planning process and collaboration. And you're still doing that today with your team, uh, who brings great energy and positivity uh, to all these roundtables. I know it's hard to kind of corral all these folks um, in general in planning and in the meetings themselves. You guys do a great job. There's definitely a lot of positivity and joy in those sessions. For year one with CalAIM, which we're coming up towards technically the end of the first year, what have been some of the highlights um, that you've seen so far? Well, really appreciate you. And I do have to say, I have one of the most amazing teams. And, you know, we think a lot about teams and um how do we bring all voices to the table? And um, when you do systems change work, we know that um, we need 
a multiplicity of diversity, of different views of way things are done and a different understanding of how things come together. And so we really do value lived experience and that every voice matters. And we really can co-create and develop something if we're leaving any voice out. And so I think those are some of the key tenants in our work. We live and breathe those tenants. And when I look back about the work that we've been done, there's been quite a few highlights that I'm very proud of. Um, you know, some of the big ones have been creating Calame roundtables, which are supposed to be public forums for yeah. ECM and community support providers. And, you know, when you're creating a new forum, the first six months can be spent just building trust because you have to get to know one another, you have to come together, you have to understand everyone's pain points, and then how can, where are their shared goals so that we can collectively move together? And so creating those public forums and those roundtables are very important. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I do think that um, beyond those roundtables, you know, we launched four regional roundtables in Sacramento Central Valley, LA, and San Diego. And we work with a partner, HCT Strategies, on an additional eight roundtables. Of course, those roundtables need ways to communicate and to engage with all of our stakeholders, because it's not just the plans, not just the county, not just the providers, but we live in an ecosystem where we have to support one another and that there are also a lot of local programming that could be impacted by implementation and rollout. And so we really work hard to find ways to communicate that out and to make sure all of our stakeholders have ways to access materials and resources outside of our monthly meeting. So we developed 13 websites, three bi-monthly newsletters, really trying to hone in on what does that regional group of stakeholders really need? Um, and to think through how do we best communicate and engage and support them as we all think about and live through and work through implementation together. Um, another major highlight I would say that I'm very proud of this year is standing up a mechanism for uh uh, managed care plans uh, to collectively come together and implement the incentive payment programs. Um, a number, uh, so whenever we come into a new region and launch a roundtable, um, all the plans in the region agree to partner. And yeah. so we work hard to build that partnership. And as a result of that, we were able to create one standardized application form, um, one um, standardized progress report. And that's really important, particularly for providers. Um, providers want to maximize their time for patient care and exactly. we want to be respectful of that. So we by um, and we know that in some regions there are sometimes can be five plans, seven plans, and it takes more of the provider's time if they have to develop separate applications. Yes. So 
finding ways to create those synergies, streamlining processes. Um, that takes time and energy and a willingness from all the partners to come together to do. But that is something that uh, we feel very strongly about and we're very proud of that work. And as a result of that work and supporting our partners, just in the four roundtables that uh, we currently run, um, we supported over a hundred and the plans so we supported our plan partners and they funded over 110 providers with over $25 million this year, you know, trying to build capacity. And, yes. you know, it's just the beginning, the tip of the iceberg. There's much, much more work to be done and additional capacities to be built. And we're really excited and looking forward to doing more of that. Awesome. Yeah, the IPP has been uh, pretty amazing um, in my day job. Um, was, uh, you know, we applied as well for some things we're trying to build out capacity and things like that. I won't go into that, but, um, it's been great. So, um, I'm glad it was helpful. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And the, the universal application. Oh, thank God. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so, uh, Lisa, as we get towards the, the, the end of our show, a couple more things I wanted to, to ask you, thank you for the highlights of year one. What about some of the trends you're seeing as well, uh, here in California? Well, I definitely think uh, California is an exciting place to be working in healthcare systems transformation right now because beyond CalAIM, there are a number of other major health initiatives that are also currently happening. And I think uh, moving into next year, you know, some of the challenges, but also opportunities for us will be in coming together and the dovetailing of some of those uh, initiatives. So, for example, um, we know that uh, AB 133 and the state's data sharing framework is coming online. And so thinking through how that and the new the state's new consent form will uh, be implemented on the ground uh, will dovetail quite nicely with the CalAIM work because some of the things that we are looking to do over the course of the next year is to continue to build capacity for ECM and community support providers. We have new populations of focus coming online and the state is also adding additional populations of focus as well. So as we think Think about how to provide services and interventions to those new populations that are coming online. Um, There are new service opportunities, and we have to be thoughtful about how we support providers on the ground. And so I do see that both as a challenge, but as an opportunity. Um, Other trends, I think data and interoperability is not going away. That's going to come back. Um, And I do think we are all collectively, not just here in California, but across the nation. Um, I had mentioned a number of other states with waivers as well in this area. We are adding and, uh, and learning a lot about how to address the social determinants and how to support uh patients who are most adversely impacted by their social determinants. And I'm I'm excited about adding that body of work and knowledge and what that tells us, because I think that's going to give us much more information to help us all create the better system of tomorrow. Awesome. Let's definitely see that passion. So um, as we wrap up, we heard a lot about what you guys did before CalAIM. Um, what you're doing with CalAIM here in California. What about the work Transform is doing uh, elsewhere? 
Uh, can you give us a, maybe a briefly what you guys are doing outside of California? Sure. So we take a broad approach to system change. And what we mean by that is we want to work with the organizations who are trying to achieve a differential outcome that will support um, a patient or a population locally, right? So we uh do a lot of a variety of work besides implement local implementation work and stakeholder engagement facilitation. Um, we uh, have an O&E practice, an outreach and enrollment patient navigation practice. Oh, okay. um, and uh, that was a continuation of some of the pro bono work that we've been doing um, in uh about five years back, supporting navigators, assisters um, on the ground with policy, with understanding how to implement, um, you know, patients were always, whenever we change programming, we need to think about how patients will navigate the system. And so that's a body of work that we're really proud of. Uh, we work with an FQHC in Delaware, specifically around this, as well as with the University of South Florida. Um, we also do a lot of strategic planning work. And so uh, helping organizations think about what's coming next. And so we've done strategic planning in support of advocacy organizations, foundations. Uh, I'd mentioned some of our waiver work. Uh, we've been tracking 1115 waivers and have a database of all the different activities that have occurred. And so that's allowing us to see trends and yeah. how people are evolving programs. Um, and that informs our uh, waiver work with states. And uh, we currently support New York State with their waiver. And, uh, you know, we do a lot of policy monitoring. Um, we love new things. We're not scared of things where there is no roadmap. And so we like to bring both the policy, the implementation, the stakeholder lens, uh, communications, like bringing it all together from a multidisciplinary view is, uh, is the way to go. And that's has always been our approach. And, um, you know, we're really looking forward to continuing more of that work. I mean, we're always looking to work and partner with organizations who really want to do better and provide better services and care on the ground and uh, make healthcare better. I can totally tell. I can totally tell the passion and the smiles when you're doing your work. Um, seems infectious, which is pretty cool, Lisa. Well, um, it's been great. I've been, um, trying to get Lisa on the calendar for a long time. So I really appreciate you and your colleague Elizabeth for helping to coordinate this today, Lisa. If folks want to stay up to speed with Transform Health, of course, they can attend the roundtables. What's the, uh, remind the audience where, or maybe for the first time, where can folks find out about those, maybe the main site where they can then trickle down to all the other roundtables? Tell us about that. Sure thing. Um, so there, we have created a hub page. It's the Calam Roundtables dot com. And from there, you can access all the different roundtables in all the different regions. Uh, we always recommend folks start at that the high Calais roundtable uh, dot com webpage. And if you want to learn more about Transform Health, please visit our website, follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. We love to engage, we love to connect, and we love to share ideas. And the more we sh ideas we share, um, the more we can collectively uh, move together, move healthcare forward together. <laughs> awesome, Lisa. Well, thank you again for being our guest today. Thanks, Gavin. I really appreciate you having me.
Thanks everyone for tuning in to another episode of Pop Health Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. And if you have and want to check out other episodes, visit us at pophealthpodcast.com, iTunes or Apple Music, Spotify, Stitcher, and now YouTube as well. Take care.